0: Hey guys, it's Ed, and I'm coming to you live from the drunk, passive, the temporary drunk passive studios here in Detroit. And I was thinking about quitting jobs yesterday. Now, I just need you guys to go with me on this, all right? So. All of my jobs except for two, I've quit. Um, And one, I would. uh, One or both, I could even argue um, it was more of a mutual separation than an actual. um, More of a mutual separation than an um, actual firing. Um, Because actually, only one job told me that I was fired, the other, um, just took me off the schedule. So for all I know, I could walk back in and, and resume work at any time, um, but be that as it may, um, you know, whenever I quit a job, 99% of the time... I've been very professional about it. You know, I've given way more than enough notice. Um, I've made sure that they had someone who could take over my position and do the job just as well, if not better, than I could. And, And when that didn't happen... It was because I was in a position of power, and um, I had been planning my, my exit for, for a minute. Um, so let that be a lesson to all employers. Don't piss off the good workers, because they'll, they'll walk out on you. So, you must be wondering why I felt the need to share that and to do it with you. And it was because Bethany Frankel decided to leave the Real Housewives of New York. And the announcement came as somewhat of a surprise to people because honestly her and Andy Cohen are really good friends and no one could quite understand why she would why she would do that um and the reason that she gave via social media and interviews was um, she felt it was time to focus on her producing efforts with Mark Burnett. And um, you know, she wanted to to kind of explore life away from the Housewives. So Okay, you know, kind of get it actually. But sorcerers are saying, no, that's not true at all. Um, Every year, the housewives renegotiate their contracts. And in this case, Bethany went into the room. In a position of knowing that um, Bravo and the producers needed her more than she needed them. So she threw out a huge number. No one is saying exactly what that number is. Um, But apparently it was jaw-dropping. And it was big enough for Bravo execs to say, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. And Bethany, um, ended up walking away. Um, the story said that she, she already had her one foot out the door as it was. Um, and part, part of that was because she was confident that there were other options out there for her. She's happy in her personal life with her boyfriend, Paul Burnin. Um... But, and here's the thing where I think it's really surprising. The same sources are saying some of the higher, higher higher-ups and, um, bigger producers on the series found out via social media that she was leaving. And not, um, like, they weren't informed beforehand So the question is, is, did Bethany just burn a bridge? And the answer is probably not. Um, because, again, she was negotiating from a place of power. They know they need her. Um, one season of her being away, and they'll probably offer her the world to come back. Um... Because whether you love her or hate her, Bethany Frankel is good TV. Now, she's not good on her own. Her talk show was a massive failure. But, let me clarify that statement first. When I say a massive failure, when someone has the name recognition like Bethany Frankel does and the backing of Ellen DeGeneres, the current queen of daytime, And you still only get one season. That's on you. You know, I, I'm sorry to say it, but it is on you that your show didn't take off. There's nothing Ellen or anyone else could have done to make that show a success. Um, that, that hadn't already been done. Now... Um, Where does New York go from here? Uh, Well, where does the franchise go from here? The Real Housewives lost two of their biggest stars, Bethany Frankel and Lisa Vanderpump, who are allegedly engaged in a feud. um, Because there are some who believe that Bethany Frankel is the one who suggested to Lisa Rinna and the other co-stars that they needed to take, um, Vanderpump down. So what happens now? What happens when the franchise loses two of its biggest stars? Probably nothing. Um, each show should be fine, um. Rumor has it that Matt Lauer's ex-wife um, may have been angling to get a spot on The Real Housewives. That's unconfirmed, and I've not seen any decent sources to back up that claim. But but that rumor is out there. Um, and trust me, there are going to be so many blind items about um, Bethany leaving the way she did. That I will probably end up doing a... Um, a Frankel Frankel throwback Thursday. At least a segment, if not an entire deep dive show like we did... Um, for Katie Holmes. But for right now, I'm going to take a break. And I'll be right back. And I'm back. Um, and just so y'all know... Um, will and I have been talking. And it doesn't seem like he's going to be able to record um, a segment today, so, um, well, I know that disappoints you all very much, um, it, it seems like he wants to hold off on his big return to the show for my big return, um, to New York, so, um, there's that, and, you know, that's fine, um, there, I think there's a part that, he likes it when I introduce him. <laughs> um, and, um, and, you know, I obviously I've been recording um, much longer um, than he has. Uh, so, even though he's much more professional and I go all over the place on you guys. Um, <laughs> and speaking of going all over the place... <laughs> Ooh, these segues just keep getting better and better, don't they? (laughs) Oh, oh my. Um, um, Viola Davis, whose Emmy-winning show, How to Get Away with Murder, is coming to an end next season, already has her next TV role lined up. She will be playing... Former First Lady, Michelle Obama, and a new Showtime series tentatively titled First Ladies. Um, The first season is going to follow... Um, Michelle Obama... I kept up the wrong... um, I kept up to the wrong article about this. Um. It's, while I look for it, it's gonna be like uh, Michelle Obama. I. Want say, I keep wanting to say. Um, Lady Bird Johnson, but I think that's actually. Um, I don't think that's actually right. Um, I believe that I I what I'm I'm trying I'm trying to remember correctly. Um, here we go. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is so bad. Um, season one will focus on Eleanor Roosevelt, Betty Ford, and Michelle Obama. Um, Lady Bird Johnson. Uh, was there was a spec script which we're going to talk about spec in a little bit um, that was written about um, the writer decided to write about Lady Bird Johnson and uh, some creatives got together and said oh this would make a really good TV series and one of the greatest things um, is that um, one of the greatest things is um, there's always going to be more first ladies coming down the pike Um, you know someone could Someone could, and probably should, um, do a season with Hillary Clinton. I'm kind of hoping that they do, like, a Hillary Clinton-Melania Trump season. Because I think that would be fabulous! (laughs) (laughs) Y'all can tell I've lost my damn mind. (laughs) Um, So, here is... Here is the log line uh, um here's the log line for first ladies. First Ladies is set in the east wing of the White House, where many of history's most impactful and world-changing decisions have been hidden from view, made by America's charismatic, complex, and dynamic First Ladies. The series will peel back the curtain on the personal and political lives of our dynamic heroes. So, I mean, I'm really intrigued by this. I think, um... I think that there's so much to work with here. But. In in what is going to probably be um, even better news. Everything that is being written about is coming from public domain. Why is this great news? Normally, um, shows like this will come from an uh, IP. Um, the assassination of Gianni Versace um, came from a book called Vulgar Crimes. And while while it's a great book, and, and I mean, really, make no mistake, it is a really good book. Writers always put their own little bent on things. Now, it, it, of course there's going to be a bent put on First Ladies. I, there, I don't think there can be any argument about that. But and you knew there was going to be a but I think one of the one of the best things that can be done is to take the information that really has or shouldn't have any political bent, and let things fall where they may. And that that seems to be what, um, producers and and the creative staff right now are trying to do. So what happens next? Well. Before filming begins, Viola has to finish filming How to Get Away with Murder. I'm guessing that. um, I'm guessing that um, they're going to shoot a pilot probably fairly soon to get the official green light from uh, Showtime. And from there, um, while Viola is busy working on how to get away with murder, they'll be prepping, um, with scripts. And since it's a, since this is going to be a premium cable show, Viola will be able to, um, Continue her movie work. And it won't be a long commitment. Um, Because as y'all know... We've only had... Unfortunately only had one... Black... First lady. One first... um, One black president so far. So... This seems like it'll be a one and done situation... For now. And for right now, I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to come right back. And I'm back. And in a bit of not-so-surprising news... Yesterday, it was announced that Kiki Palmer was indeed signing on as a co-host. Um for the show formerly known as um, Good Day America which transformed into Strahan and Sarah and will now be entitled and this is not a joke this is not satire I need to tell you this because I don't know what the fuck they're thinking <laughs> but this this is honestly the the name of their of the show now g m a three colon strayhand Sarah and Kiki and um Yesterday was Kiki Palmer's birthday, so they kind of did, uh, um, they kind of made the announcement on air for the first time that she was officially joining them full-time as a co-host. Sweet, right? Um, but... And... You know, I just... (laughs) here's the thing more power to them obviously and there are hundreds of people who work behind the scenes um from producers and editors um camera people directors PAs um and you know and and since this is the industry that Will wants to get into um obviously he's my friend I don't I want it to be easier for him to get a job. And I would never want anyone rooting for him to lose his job. But. This is the second hard reboot of the show. In less than a year. At some point, we just have to admit that this isn't working. Some people are starting to point to um, what they're calling the Rippa effect. Uh, and right now, it's, that doesn't seem to... That doesn't seem to be an entirely accurate or fair assessment. Um, And it's, I think, giving Kelly Ripa a little bit too much power. But the theory goes that since um, Michael Strahan and Kelly Ripa's massive falling out and their attempt to replicate the success of Live with Michael Strahan and Sarah Haynes, people have been talking more and more about how Kelly Ripa and Michael Strahan had a huge falling out. Um, And just a little note, um, I'm, I'm scrapping the Bethany Frankel idea for the deep dive. Um, for for one reason and one reason only, because I actually did a ton of research. I was writing um, before I started the podcast, um, and just after Generation Gossip kind of fell on into the wayside. Um, um, I did a ton of research. I was writing a book about um, all the inside gossip of what happened with Kelly Rippa and Michael Strahan. Um. So I think we're gonna do the the Michael and Kelly Ripa feud um, for Throwback Thursday this week. Um, much more entertaining, and I'm am a lot more knowledgeable about that. <laughs> I I laugh. <laughs> Here's the reason why I laugh because y'all know I hate reality. <laughs> Um, but the Bethany Frankel, you know, she's she's pretty well known outside of reality show circles and. Um. Honestly, it was kind of a bitch move. I'm. I do want to dig a little bit deeper into. The Lisa Vanderpump story and whatnot because I'm intrigued. Um. I'm intrigued by it, and I want to see what people what people are thinking about it um, so there's that we'll we'll talk more about that later um, but right now um the the striking so the ripple effect could be at play here. Um, GMA's ratings did kind of sink a little bit. Um, but there could be various factors. And there could be various factors as to why this show is not performing well. First of all, it does seem like a legitimate knockoff of ABC's own program. One of the, um, one of the rumors I had heard on the streets of Manhattan when the show was announced after the cancellation of The Chew was they were thinking about scrapping the entire live brand, um, and they kind of wanted to wrap everything up in a nice little bow and make it seem like this was in the next hour of um, GMA, but it was still light and fluffy and fun. Um. And again, these are these are just rumors, but the rumor was they had approached Kelly Ripa about possibly um joining the GMA staff with their idea and she said no. Um so they were trying to get the formula to do that um there's a lot of backstage drama um that happens and it's really fascinating um it's just truly truly fascinating when they do this um And it, it yeah. um, Will Kiki help the struggling show? It doesn't seem as though she did. Um. Initially. Um. In fact, it kind of seems as though. Um, in a very real way, it seems like, um, they're just trying to keep the show on air until I can find something else to throw in there. Um, perhaps reboots of All My Children and One Life to Live. Um, don't go past them to try doing a second hour of The View. Um, because there's, in daytime, they're really starving for brands right now. And I think what's safeguarding General Hospital at this point in time is the fact that they realize that they're stumbling out of the gate, which is not doing any favors for General Hospital. And I'm going to do you a favor and hush my mouth for a minute, take a break and come right back. And I'm back. And, okay, so... This is going to be a little bit shorter segment. Yes, we're we're doing six segments today. Um, because... Because we can, honestly. <laughs> Who's going to stop me? Who's going to tell me no? It's my show, damn it. <laughs> um, Alright, silliness aside... Um, you know, there are some major major accomplishments that I really feel um deserve um a- accolades, and with that, I have to say congratulations to Madonna. Who, um, in the issue of Billboard that's being published today, has scored her 48th number one dance hit with iRise from the Madam X album. I mean, first of all, just getting to number one is an achievement in and of itself. Um, and iRise was supposed to be the queer anthem, which clearly it, it really did become of the... Um, it, it was supposed to become a queer anthem that resonates um, more than just throughout Pride Month. The fact that it hit number one in August, when it was um, released way back... In July, uh, no, it was I'm sorry, way back in May shows you how savvy Madonna truly is. Um, you know, people were were saying that her career was over, that you know she had lost touch and she didn't know what she was doing anymore, that Madame Max was going to be a massive flop of an album. Um and um, you know clearly this proves Madame X opened and um or debuted at top of the album charts. Um, this. The Elm has gone on to go, I believe, platinum at the very least. And it has spawned, at this point, four, I believe, four number one hits. Um, to a top ten hit was Mandolin. Uh, a top ten um, Hot 100 um, in, in Mandolin. Um, and here's the thing, okay... Uh, you all know that my that I always talk about my career, and one of the things they tell you is to find your niche. Now you don't have to stay in that niche. Um, John Grisham is legal thriller, but he's dabbled in children's books. He has dabbled in uh, true crime, Uh-oh. but find a niche. You know, um, and I think what Madonna has done um, better than almost anyone else is taken, taken um, and evolved her niche. Um, and what I mean by that is she's the queen of pop. Um pop music is her lifeblood. Or used to be her lifeblood, I should say. Um but there's a bit of an ageism that goes on in pop music. And so I think what she's doing here is In a very real way, in a very um, in a very fun way, um, taking taking charge, and has evolved into a dance artist. You know, um, she could have led with this, um, with "Crave" as the lead single from X which was built to be a pop song and it was built to blow the lid off the charts. Instead, she once again went against expectations, went with mandolin, and and that, that song is still rising on the Latin pop charts. And helping the album sell... Um, more, in in those countries. Um, in in Latin, in Latin, um South American countries. Likewise. Um, you know, she released "I Rise" specifically for the LGBTQ community. And it has steadily climbed um, the charts. And she has really kind of just taken this whole thing and just turned it up all a notch. And, you know... Maybe she's not out there reinventing herself being a sex symbol or anything like that anymore, but she's doing something even better. She's showing the world that she really is a very savvy and savage businesswoman. And for that, I think we need to tip our hats to her. And I'm gonna take a break, and I'm gonna come right back. And I'm back. So, in the Viola Davis segment, I told you that we were going to talk about spec scripts. So, um, and true to my word, we really are going to speak about spec scripts. Um, there is nothing scarier for a screenwriter than to not have anything to sell or not be commissioned to write a movie. Or a TV show uh, or even a play. So what'll happen a lot of times is um, they'll have a passion project or um, they'll have a passion project or um, something of that sort where um, um that they'll be working on. And when you do that, when a when a screenwriter or anyone really, any kind of writer or artist works on something that hasn't been commissioned, it's called doing it on spec uh as you can imagine, spec is um, spec is short for speculation meaning I'm writing this thinking that speculating that someone is going to buy it from me um and one of the most famous examples of a spec script in recent times was Travis Beachman's Pacific Rim. Um, Travis Beachman and Guolo, um I cannot say his name ever. Um, Del Toro, you all know who I'm talking about. Gularmo Toro. Um, we're supposed to work on killing on Carnival Road together. And for whatever reason that that movie never materialized. Um so they they still really wanted to work together and Travis Beachman was walking along the pier um in San Diego and through the fog just kind of seeing this giant robot fighting this giant monster. And started to piece together the story and started breaking it down and whatever. And... Um, You know, the rest is history. The movie went on to make a lot of money and spawned a sequel. But writing on spec is it's a necessary evil. And here's why. For all the cries of lack of creativity in Hollywood, there are a lot of, there are a lot of writers who, you know, find something that inspires them, or, um, you know, there are people like me who want to break into the WGA and the screenwriting business, and they have to, they have to conceive of a story um that they think is going to sell and when it comes to that there's always a bit of a um I I'm trying to I'm I'm trying to explain this without sounding like I'm explaining it. <laughs> when when you're breaking a story, a lot of people will tell you to chase the trends. Right now, horror is really big, and um, R-rated comedies are kind of making a comeback. Mostly on Netflix, though. Um. However, that's not what sells. First of all, that's not going to sell your story, and that's not going to sell you as a screenwriter. Anybody can chase trends. And what what Studios really want, especially in this day and age where um, everyone is merging and conglomerates are emerging, um, they're starved for franchises, unless your name is Disney. And, and yes, some will argue um, Universal has a lot of franchises as well. We're not going to fight... We're not going to fight that. We'll just go with it. (laughs) But... The... The biggest thing with... With both of those are... You... You don't want to... You don't necessarily want to give up your creativity, but you also want to give them something that can turn into a franchise. Unless you're... And there are some screenwriters out there whose niche is specifically writing Oscar-winning or Oscar-bating screenplays. Um, Dustin Lance Black comes to mind. Who... Uh, I believe he won for Milk. And from there, every screenplay has been um, written specifically with getting nominated for an Academy Award. Or some sort of award. Um, when We Rise was obviously Emmy bait, So... Why write a a script on spec and not just write a novel? And and when I tell you that this is actually a question I get asked when I say I'm working on um, on a script, the answer is very simple. There are so many movie production companies right now that it's not hard to imagine... It's really not hard to imagine um, selling something. And the WGA rules, I don't know if you guys know this, Um, say once you register with them to be a member, you have three years to sell the script. Now, three years seems like a long time, but negotiations and whatever sometimes can take a while if you don't have an agent. That's definitely going to, um, take up some time. But it's always well worth it. Um, selling a novel Most publishers nowadays are not giving advances. And your royalties won't start kicking in until the book is actually published. So what we're looking at with that is... What we're looking at with that is... Um, possibly more than a year after you've sold your novel it comes out so you're waiting at least another three to six months for for pay whereas when you sell a script you'll get um, if I understand how things, how these things operate correctly and if I don't, please, if, if you're someone in the industry and you know how this works, reach out to me. Um, ed at AuthorEdAnderson.com is my email. Um, or any of the social media channels, AuthorEdAnderson, Instagram, and Facebook at author ed a, on Twitter. Um, but the, the way it seems like it works, that I've heard that it works, is um, you get so much money up front... Um, Which is called an option. And then when it actually goes into production, you get the rest of the balance that was promised. So um, I believe the WGA minimum is $65,000. So you sell a script, you sign the contract, letting one of the production companies option it, you're going to get at least $30,000. Which is much more than a novel, and you might be able to keep the novelization rights, or you might be able to, uh, um, you might be able to uh, Um... talk with him and either keep them or <coughs> <coughs> what happened? Episode how many happened? Um, you might be able to keep them, or you might be able to talk to them about letting you write it, and then you're going to continue to make money. Plus, as a screenwriter, you're going to continue to make money every time the movie is shown anywhere in the world. But I'm going to take a break, and I will be right back. And I'm back. And, okay, so, all of you know, I always start every show with, I'm coming to you live from whatever. Um... And it, it was inspired by Saturday Night Lives and live from New York. It's Saturday Night Live. Um, I kind of like that. I, I really like that. And the statement that it made, or makes, I should say. And being a fan of the show, um, It was kind of like one of those things where I took inspiration from them. Um, You know, one of the... One of the reasons why I think Saturday Night Live has been so successful... Over the 40 years... Soon to be 45 years that it's been on the air... Is because... They do change all their cast. Um, They usually lose two or three cast members every season and bring on new ones and start to integrate them slowly as featured players. Um, and better than almost any other show out there, except for maybe The Simpsons, they integrate a guest star or host every every single week. And a musical guest. So, why am I talking about this? Yesterday, they unveiled the first set of hosts for the upcoming 45th season. And there were, there were names that you would expect to see on there, like um, Woody Harrelson, um, David Harbor. Um, from Stranger Things. Um, one name I didn't expect to see on here, um, but was pleasantly surprised was, Kristen Stewart. Um, last time Kristen hosted the show. She dropped the f bomb during her monologue. And at the time it was rumored that Lauren Michaels was pissed and thought it was very unprofessional for her to for her to do that obviously he got over it and invited her back to host the show um it could be um corporate synergy i believe universal is releasing Charlie's Angels but I, I honestly think more than that, it was just he understood. Like, she didn't mean harm. She didn't mean to, to do anything like that. It was a slip of the tongue, and it happens to the best of us. I mean, if I got banned every time I dropped that bomb on this podcast, thank God I own it. <laughs> um. Um. So, um, first timer Phoebe. I'm trying to, because I can never get her name right. Phoebe Waller Bridge. Um, Hollywood's current it girl. Will be making her hosting debut this. This season, but the really the most surprising of them all was Eddie Murphy. Um, and that was surprising because he has not been on there. He has not made an appearance on the show in almost 40 years. Um, His last appearance was in 1984. Um, And... he um just a little background so he is i believe he's the youngest cast member to ever appear on the show um it could be between him and Pete Davidson um but i'm pretty sure um eddie murphy was only 19 when he started with the show um he is thus far the only cast member to be a full-time cast member and host the show that happened when Nick Nolte um got sick um and so Eddie Murphy stepped in for his co-star um and that's just a a really interesting to me at least interesting piece of information um uh, and he he ended up leaving later um later that season um he left in 1984 two episodes before the finale and returned to host um in December of 1984 and then had not been back since And it, no one really actually knows why. Um, part of the reason why um, we know part of the reason is because um, he Eddie Murphy was really really upset um, that they were taking shots at his career uh, in nineteen ninety. I believe it was, David Spade uh, did a skit and held up a picture of Eddie Murphy and said, quote, and kids, this is what we call a falling star. Of course, um, at that time, Eddie Murphy's career had gone off a cliff and um, he was just in a very, very bad, bad way. and yeah um so his his return is really highly anticipated um, it's been also rumored for, for quite a while with reports last week coming out saying that he was reportedly telling people um, that he was considering doing it and it was not off the table. And, you know, Effie Murphy is really has really turned into the comeback kid. Um, after the aforementioned slump, He um he turned things around with um Professor Doolittle um oh uh, um I'm ch- I'm trying to remember the name of the other movie. Um, it was definitely not Norbert. Um, Norbert is what taint his career. <laughs> the Nutty Professor. Um, and, you know... Honestly uh, he had a string of of big hits after that um, which ended, some would say ended with um, holy man, but honestly. I would say it ended with the adventures of Pluto Nash. Possibly I Spy. But it was definitely those two movies. Um And then from there, of course, he had some some other hits, but nothing that he could nothing he could sustain. Um And since then, since then, he's not really worked all that much. It was almost like he wasn't quite sure what he wanted to do, to be honest. Um, and then, so this year, um, he has Dolmite My, Is My Name on Netflix and Coming to America 2. Um, which he's also credited as a writer on. So. Um, I I think we're going to see another big comeback for The Comeback Kid. And frankly, I think that's a, I think that's a good thing. I also think it's a good thing that I'm going to end the show now. (laughs) Thank you all so much for listening as always. And until next time, cheers.